0: the Women Changing the World podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you some of the most amazing women I know who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Best, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. I'm so excited to share my conversation with Geisha Haas, who is the founder of Dreamers and Doers, a community of extraordinary entrepreneurial women and a PR hype machine that I have had the privilege of being a part of for the past nine months or so. We had so much fun talking about women supporting women, mutual support as a competitive edge, scaling a community-based business, and how to navigate feeling like the impact that you're having is enough, which I know is a theme on this podcast. Geisha shared so much wisdom in our conversation, and I just know you're going to enjoy it as much as I did. to another episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. I am so excited to be sitting down today with Geisha Haas, who is the founder and CEO of Dreamers and Doers, which is an organization that I am a part of and I'm totally obsessed with. I feel like I'm having the day that we're talking, Geisha, a totally Dreamers and Doers day because I got interviewed on another podcast this morning as a result of a Dreamers and Doers opportunity. And when I finish work today, I get to go break some glass and drink champagne for being uh, welcomed into the Hall of Femme, which was a Dreamers and Doers thing. So I'm just so grateful to you. uh, And I think you're an amazing badass. Um, (laughs) I would love for you to say hello to our listeners um, and introduce yourself.
1: Hello there. I'm so honored and excited to be here. Um, As Liz mentioned, my name is Geisha and I'm the founder of Dreamers and Doers, which is a unique blend of high impact community and agile PR team.
0: Uh, I love it. And I feel like it's also just so much more. It really does feel like such a community of women who are changing the world. (laughs) I've been just so impressed with the people uh, who are members. I know we'll talk more about that in a minute. So I have to ask my first question to almost everyone on the podcast um, because it's the Women Changing the World podcast is if you could change one thing about the world as it is today and I appreciate that there are many things that need change in today's world but if you had to pick one thing what would it be?
1: I'm not sure if this counts as one or maybe as a few but it would be everyone has enough money food and freedom to live a decent life and I'll give the background that I grew up quite internationally, so I was born in Africa, moved to Germany, Malaysia, Singapore, Germany, Beijing, Hong Kong, New York. So I've lived in a lot of developing countries, and I think because of that, I've seen a lot of poverty and the difference between a developing country and a first world country. And just yeah, we're wishing that everyone had enough to have a decent life would be my number one thing.
0: Hmm. Yes, I cannot agree more with that thing. I mean, it's hard. I feel like it's hard to choose, but having done quite a bit of travel myself, it's it's kind of mind boggling that we have not figured that one out yet.
1: Yes. It's heart-wrenching.
0: Totally. Totally. Um, well, I know, um, uh, dreamers and doers is like an organization that is very close to your heart. I know that like, you know, we're all contributing to creating the world we want to see in our own way and i think this is such a cool way that you are working to create the world that you would like to see Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the organization and what inspired you to create the space for entrepreneurial women
1: yes so dreamers Endures was a happy accident that happened at this point over eight years ago i have a background in finance used to be an investor at a hedge fund and worked at a few very early stage startups and none of that prepared me for venturing out on my own So as I found myself working on a company of my own, I felt extremely lonely. I had existential fears. All my friends and family, they couldn't relate. They kept wondering why I don't get a job, why I was working all the time. And everything changed when I joined forces with one other entrepreneurial woman. And it was actually over brunch. So Dreamers and Doors started because um, of brunch. So we had brunch together, but we worked and we supported each other with the work that we're doing. And it was the very first time ever that I felt supported in my entrepreneurial pursuits. And from there, two of us grew to four, grew to five, grew to 10. And it was the one thing I couldn't stop working on. It wasn't called Dreamers and Doers at the time, but it was just this um, initiative of getting other individuals together, um, predominantly women. And then over time, it became women focused only because I realized it was just particularly hard finding other women who could relate. And some of the challenges um, we as women were facing were so different from what my male counterparts were facing. So a year into it, after working on it on the side and telling people like, oh, no, this is not a business. This is just, you know, this thing that I'm doing. Um, I saw what big of an impact it was having and decided to go all in, in into Dreamers and Doors. So that's kind of how we started out. And when I decided to go all in, I had no clue what I was doing. I was like, what is this going to be? I don't know, how am I gonna do this? I don't know. I just know this has to exist, just in my whole being and in my gut, like I know that I have to work on this and um, figure it out. So that was um, a while ago, seven years that I decided to go all in. And um, we've transitioned through that, lots of trial and error, lots of ups and downs, as you can imagine. But fast forward to today, um, we are what we call a high community and an agile PR team, or you could say PR hype machine. And um, in terms of who our members are, we say they're diverse entrepreneurial women. So it could be someone who is a female founder, but also someone who's part of the wider ecosystem, for example, as an investor or someone working at a startup. So any, any woman that doesn't have a regular nine to five and who could really benefit from other individuals. And um, it's, by the way, both women and non-binary individuals. And what we provide is one is the actual curation. I think that's so so important um, in terms of um, providing a high impact community, Um, as well as we provide a very high touch experience. So we curate high impact resources, which could be anything from, for example, that opportunity own fund that you benefited from. Um, Like we keep an eye out so that our members don't have to do it. So we hopefully increase the impact they can have in the world by doing that. In addition to the high impact. Um, resources that we curate for them we also um, offer over 100 virtual events per year mostly virtual and it's a mix of educational and um, connection focused events and another core part of what we do is PR and the reason we're doing this is on one end we think that especially for women um, getting credibility from external stakeholders, which could be investors, partners, potential customers, and even from ourselves, can sometimes be harder than for men. So believing in ourselves and having others believe in ourselves, um, sometimes it's accelerated when we have that external validation. So we've that, therefore, we've made PR a lot more accessible than it otherwise would be. Usually hiring a PR agency would cost several thousands of dollars per month, and usually with a multi-month retainer. And for us, it's a, we provide this at a fraction of the cost. We also invested in PR because we think it will create systemic change by changing who and what gets portrayed in the media. So by we believe that will change who dares to le- reach a leadership position and who dares to start companies.
0: I love that so much. And that actually, the, the PR piece in particular was how I came upon Dreamers and Doers. I was in a small mastermind, for lack of a better word, um, of women entrepreneurs who are members of the assembly before the pandemic. And we started meeting on Zoom just regularly. And I remember coming to one of our calls and being like, I I think I'd hired, um, I was working with some grad students who were doing like sort of like a marketing like landscape analysis. And they were comparing me to some other like, you know, people and coaches in the space. And I just like, remember walking out of like their venture presentation and they were like, basically like, they were like, you need press logos on your website. Like this is making you look less legit than some of these other coaches. And I was like, how do I go about getting those? Um, and I brought it to this call that, um, our friend Maria was on and she was like, Oh my God, you Ah. have to join dreamers and doers. And I hung up the phone and I filled out the application and put in my credit card,
1: like that
0: day. (laughs)
1: I'm so happy to hear that. And I hadn't heard that full story yet. It's so magical.
0: Yeah, totally, totally. Um, I feel like it's it's such a cool thing that like and, and I've referred members since joining. It's just like such yes. a great resource for people um who are at a certain moment in their journey where this is just so supportive and so helpful.
1: Exactly.
0: Well and I'd love to hear too. So I know like your team has grown, like the organization has grown in, in the past seven years in a way that's so cool. Um, so what does your day-to-day currently look like at the helm of dreamers and doers? And I guess also broadly yes. as a person.
1: Totally. So obviously not every day is exactly the same, but a few things that are um, pretty consistent is for one, I am a mom. So I have two kids and one and a half and a two and a half. Um, I'm fortunate that we have full-time childcare, but obviously before the childcare starts, sadly, it doesn't start the moment they wake up. Um, (laughs) My day-to-day involves um, being with the kids um, before their childcare starts and after their childcare starts. And then I work, um, that's just called, I actually do probably work roughly nine to five, ironically. Um, And then I work again um, when they are in bed, at least a little bit. I used to work all the time like too much like in a way that wasn't actually good for my work but i like mentioning that too that that's where i came from where i worked all the time monday to friday and the weekend um, so it feels good to only work nine to five and after seven again and what i do it's a mix of it's a lot of quality control a lot of management and i still do quite a bit of um, execution um, and that's what i'm actually trying to hire for so a big of my day, big part of my day-to-day involves Um, trying to hire, Um, but I'm really thrilled that it's um, evolved so much to actually managing the team. Um, And a lot of, so we, there's obviously various types of communities, but for us, the community aspect is so, 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 so big. So in terms of like execution-wise, what I spend a lot of time on is the actual community actually showing up, I'm very hands-on and um, in terms of being involved with members, um, as well as I'm pretty active with the high-level strategy on the PR front.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much for for sharing that. And I feel like it's such a transition, right, to go from being a a one-woman show to managing a team and doing quality control over that team. Um, How has it been to make that transition into, like, obviously still keeping some execution? I know you're very present in the community, but to having so many more sets of hands and brains to work on this stuff.
1: So one thing that's been really amazing is, The person who's been my right hand, Hannah, who I know you're very familiar with, she's been now with the team for over four years and I invested a lot initially to train her. And because she's so amazing and she's also just like such so values aligned, um, she is very helpful with bringing on new team members. So she's able to um, train a lot of them. And another thing we're doing now is like every time we train someone new, we create a guide, um, a training guide at that time. So maybe it takes slightly longer to train that person at that time. But then we have a guide because um, someone else might eventually take over that role. So we're trying to think more like a bigger company Mm -hmm. than we did when I was literally a one-person show. And you you probably know that I love real talk. So I like mentioning this slightly embarrassing tidbit. But in the early days, there were times where I would pretend to be not a one-woman show. And so we'd maybe have a team member, but the team member maybe wasn't working enough hours and it wasn't available. So I would send out emails from their email account. Um, So it was technically one woman show trying to pretend to be a two woman show. So I've been I've been there and I just feel so grateful for the team that's available right now.
0: Oh, that's awesome. so cool. And thank you for being like so real about that. I, <laughs> I definitely know. I forget who told me this like pro tip. I haven't done it. Um, and thankfully now have help on my team. But someone told me that they made up a male assistant for themselves to like send Oh, email. great. <laughs> um, so and good. it was wild the impact that that had and how people responded as opposed to. Oh,
1: fascinating and sad at the same time.
0: Yeah, definitely both. Um, but I would love to hear a little more. I know you mentioned that you started out in finance, but, um, I think one of the things that's really fun about this podcast and getting to have these conversations with people is that we all take often such winding roads to get to where we are in the moment that we sit down and chat. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you came to be here. I mean, I love the, the Genesis story of dreamers and doers, but what was your career like before that? And how has that helped you do what you do today?
1: Yes. So I will describe how and why I exited finance. So I was in finance for half a decade, five years. And um, I mean, I liked it, but to be fully honest, I didn't love it, but also wasn't sure what I wanted to do instead. And then I had my first exposure to the startup world by going on something called a grouper. So grouper <gasps> used to be the startup where they set up. Yes. Uh, i you familiar Cooper? with it? <laughs> <laughs> nice. So you're familiar with it. They would set up um, group blind days. So um, three women and three men. Um, So I went on one of those and was just so fascinated. And I I happened to be matched with one of the co-founders of Grouper and two of the other um, men that I was matched with, they were also startup individuals. But from that day onwards, like something shifted in me. And I was just like, wow, like I'm just like obsessed with the startup role slash entrepreneurship. Like in in finance, a lot of people, I always had the sense, like did everything just because of money. And while obviously some people, quote unquote, get lucky in the startup world and you know reap a lot of benefits, I had the sense that there was a lot more passion in it. And just like I love that excitement of building. So what happened from there is that I basically, um, you could say maybe harassed or like pestered or just was very, I was very persistent for about six months with Grouper specifically, um, because not only was I obsessed with the startup world, but specifically with Grouper. And then after six months, they were like, okay, um, we don't know anyone who is more passionate at, about this company than even some of like the team members or even the founders. So after six months, um, they gave me a shot. And that's um, when I left the finance world. Took a big pay cut, but I'm really happy about um, making that step. It was, yeah, um, that's how I transitioned out of finance.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so interesting. And what did you do when you joined Grouper?
1: The role was business development, so a little bit of everything, coming up with initiatives i launched something um called grouper late night um which was basically when people met on a grouper i had the thesis that oh like if they don't find the great match i want them to be hedged so basically after the grouper would take place there'd be a grouper late night where people would meet up at a different bar and then i actually eventually met someone who met their partner at a grouper late night so that was really cool yeah
0: Oh, that's awesome! I have to tell you, I, my my grouper date was it was back in San Diego when I think pretty early on in grouper, um, and I was with two girlfriends. It was very clear which of the friends like the matches were for, and, I, and I but none of us were. It, it was we had a good the three my friends and I had a great time, but none of us met our soulmates on that on that date. But it was oh. such a cool concept.
1: <laughs> it's fun
0: and we still laugh about it it was like a really fun shared experience right
1: (laughs) right so special
0: totally oh that's awesome well yeah I mean I I feel like so you went to grouper and then um was it from grouper that you like started working on dreamers and doers or did you have a different kind of a business idea pre-dreamers and doers before going all in
1: so after Grouper, I, sorry, there's a the doc. but I worked for two other very early stage companies for shorter stints, um, and then sometime during that time, I think a few weeks slash months after Grouper is when I started um, working on different business ideas, and there was a handful of them. Like, and some of them actually ended up are, are full blown startups right now. Um, but what was interesting is I kept switching business ideas, mm. and didn't quite stick with something because like i like the term like oh ideas are cheap right like it's much more about the execution and having quote unquote a brilliant idea also so many ideas evolve over time like if you think about um, youtube it used to be a multiplayer video game you know like, like so it's more important that you just persevere with something and figure out what works but i couldn't stick with a lot of the other things versus streamers and doers even though it wasn't supposed to be a business it was my kryptonite mm-hmm. it was the one thing i couldn't stop working on i just like every weekend i'd work on, on or like I I create a gathering through Dreamers and Doors. Um and sometimes I work on different business ideas during that. But like Dreamers and Doors was the one consistent thing in my life.
0: Ah, that's so cool. It almost it feels like it found you, um, as opposed yes. to you finding yes. it.
1: <laughs> exactly. The idea found me, and I found the idea.
0: I love it. Well, and I just like really love the like women supporting women vibes of the community. And I also love, I think one of the taglines, which is mutual support as a competitive edge. Yes. Um, and I'm curious, like, what's your philosophy on that? And where did that come from?
1: Yes. So I naturally am a giver and it hasn't always served in my favor. So especially when I was in finance or maybe even earlier, like in college, like I would give, but nearly to my detriment, and. Even Adam Grant and Sheryl Sandberg, they have this amazing series that they wrote in New York Times, said women help more but benefit less. So that's where this comes from, where like mutual support um, sometimes, and especially as it pertains to women, um, can be a disadvantage. So for us, we shifted to women help more and benefit much, much more. So we we want to create a world where um, you succeed not despite being a woman, but because of being a woman. And as a central thesis of that, we targeted on the mutual support and uniting givers. So that's why a core part of our curation process is focusing on women that are values-driven. And we believe that one plus one can equal 100 if you bring a certain type of woman together and provide a certain infrastructure. So fully living and breathing, turning mutual support as a competitive edge, making the pie bigger for everyone involved.
0: Uh, I love that, and I love that like one plus one equals a hundred. I think that's so true when you get groups of women who are alive yes. together.
1: Um, yes. And fun side story. Once in a while, we have. Um, so most of our members are women, obviously, and then some of them have male partners. And then those that have male partners, a few of them have said like been like nearly envious of dreamers and doors. They're like, does something like that exist for men? Do you know? Um, which is amazing, but also. I think if this was a community of all men, the dynamics would just be different. Like, there's something just really special that happens when women get together to support each other.
0: Have you been meaning to expand the circle of amazing women in your network, but it's been hard to find the time to connect consistently? Are you a member of a small team creating a big impact and you wish you had additional brains to tap to think strategically about what's next? Are you craving personal growth, community, and magic in your personal and professional life, but feeling like you don't know where to find it? Imagine if you had dedicated time and space to build relationships with other badass women and impact. Imagine if you had access to a brain trust of rock stars who are ready to help you solve any challenge, personal or professional. Imagine if you had an extended team of like-minded women cheering you on, hyping you up, opening doors, and helping you make your wildest dreams come true. Imagine if you took the time to really invest in yourself and be intentional about the impact you are here to make. The Girls Club Mastermind is a five-month mastermind for women who are changing the world. It is an intimate community of powerful women who are dedicated to lifting each other up. They are your hype women, your cheerleaders, and your extended team. The next round of the Girls Club Mastermind kicks off in April, and you don't want to miss it. Head to elizabethbest.com slash girls club. That's E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H-B-E-S-T dot com slash girls club to learn more and apply today. Absolutely. No, I love that. And I feel like in the work that I get to do, I get to witness that time and again. It's just, it's like, it's magic. And I wish there was a better word for it, but it really does feel like magic.
1: <laughs> yes. Couldn't agree more.
0: Um, I love it. Well, and one thing, I know you mentioned like the curation piece and, um, you know, it reminds me of the art of gathering. um, Like Priya Parker, she talks about how it's like just as important to exclude people as it is to include the right people when you are creating a space. And so I'm curious if you can speak a little bit to how values show up in like a tactical, practical way and how you approach the member selection process for dreamers and doers.
1: Yes, So our curation, for sure, is one of our secret sauces, but I don't say that lightly, and I will also admit that it's one of the hardest, most heart-wrenching experiences. So we accept members once a quarter, and once a quarter, I have this low and then a high right after, but the low happens when we are making the final decisions, and we do that as a team. There's a few people that are on the team, a few people that are not team members, but that we trust that help go through the process. In some cases, we'll you know, do reference checks if we're, you know, there's something maybe we're unsure about or if we happen to know a mutual contact um, that we trust. And it's so hard because, like, we, we do our best, but you obviously never do, do it, quote unquote, perfectly. That doesn't exist when you talk about humans and how multifaceted we are. But that gun wrenching approach of, like, should we accept this individual or not? We'll, or if we do accept this person, will it be to the detriment of other members? Do we eventually need to remove them? And it's really, really um, intense. Um, and then the high comes right after, like, usually when we ha- have the members join, um, we're all like really nervous. We're like, oh my gosh, we're, we're like finally showing what they applied to. Will, will they just dis- disappointed? it? We don't know. But usually within a pretty short time, like they get really excited and the really positive feedback comes in. So that's like my quarterly low and high. But coming back to the actual um, curation, we like saying that the onboarding starts with the application process itself. And thankfully we've structured it in a way that where, the application process itself weeds out a lot of individuals that might not be a fit. So we do need to reject some people, but I think a lot less than if we hadn't been as thoughtful as we have been with our application process. So part of our application asks, how I how do you want to contribute? Um, and obviously if someone's just looking to take, they're maybe less likely to do that. We also walk them through our values and we have them opt into them. So. My thesis is that even if someone maybe would have, you know, tried to sell to other members by just going through this process and opting in not to do so and understanding why not to do so, they're less likely to do that. So we're also shaping behavior. And we also require um, individuals to submit payment information. So we don't charge them, but we do require them to submit it as part of the application. And that also really helps showing like, who's actually serious and who's committed. So um, that is actually a really large part of the curation process is the application itself.
0: Totally. No, I think um I really appreciated how thorough the application process was and have like, I'm still considering for like my own um yes. mastermind application process. Like I think that putting your credit card down as you apply is a major indicator of the seriousness of your application. I think it just makes it feel that much more real as you're then waiting to find out like, did I get in or not? But you're like invested. Totally.
1: Totally. And it just makes onboarding and the experience for them so much more seamless, right? Like when they get accepted, you don't want to be like, hey, and now, you know, give me your payment information. And you can just focus on onboarding them. One interesting tidbit too is because in a perfect world, they could only submit the application if they submit payment information. But that actually, like we haven't been able to like fully integrate that. So they can technically submit it and then, um, and just like flake essentially on the payment information and we will follow up on them but the vast majority of people who didn't submit their payment information initially never end up submitting it maybe like five percent or something so it's, it's um, kind of a good indicator
0: interesting that's so interesting it's like if i mean i guess like when it's like put your money where your mouth is and then if people don't then you kind of know before totally. you even reach out where they're at obviously yes. with some exceptions
1: Yes, and I've compared it with other communities and they've, everyone has so far consistently see, seen the same behavior.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. Thank you for sharing. Um, well, I feel like uh, I, I could talk to you for hours about like so many things, um, but in the vein of like, you know, charging for membership in a community that like arguably changes the world, it changes the members in the community. Like, how have you navigated if you've had any like internal struggles around like charging for membership, what to charge for membership? Um, what does that look like for you?
1: Yes. So my biggest existential fear ever was tied to charging for Dreamers and Doors. Dreamers and Doors started by accident out of a personal need, so I didn't start out thinking it would be a business. And obviously I did it because I wanted to do good in the world. So I had this big inner conflict of like, oh, um, I felt really uncomfortable charging and I felt like a bad person and also, even when we did service initially, like, oh, would you be willing to pay for Dreamers and Doors? Like, once in a while, like someone would be like, Yes, a dollar I'd be willing to pay, right? So it just helps build up that like internal voice of like, oh, you shouldn't be charging. And um I then realized what the drivers were that were preventing me from driving, and I used them to help get me to charge. So basically um, I was worried that I was like a bad person and I was being selfish, but then I realized I was being really selfish by not charging by me, not being able to get over myself Mm -hmm. and charge. I was depriving the world of the impact that dreamers and doers could have. So I realized like, I'm just like all about myself. I'm just like, Oh, I can't charge. I feel so bad. I'm like, that is the most selfish thing I could do. And then when I reshifted that, that helped because that is one of my drivers. I don't, you know, like, I hope to, I strive to not be selfish, like, I strive to be of service. And that helped me to realize that charging was being of service. And I'm so glad obviously in hindsight that I did. Um, and in terms of like, how much do we charge? And we totally winked it. And I like actually quoting Reed Hoffman for this, but like, if you aren't embarrassed by the time that you launched, you launched too late. And I'll also say like, if anyone goes on our website today and like, it looks, you know, I I find it looks quite pretty but we de- our website didn't look, used to look that way. We actually only invested in branding about two years ago. And even prior to that, like like when we first launched the payment, it was so clunky. It was just like we had like three voluntary, like three different tiers that were voluntary. Then we switched everyone over to like um, non-voluntary. It was just really like complex, but like it, it's important to just like go, go with it and you can always like improve and iterate over time. We've increased prices over time. When we increase prices, we only do it for new members who join. Existing m- members we grandmother, into the rate that they had in and that they joined. And um, how I determine it is actually this Forbes article that I read uh, that's called, I think, Happy Price. But what this article said was like, determine what the price is at which you're happy and excited to deliver whatever you're delivering, right? Like, and that changes over time usually. Like over time, like that um, price usually increases. But when you notice that you are not excited about providing what you're providing anymore, um, then it's probably time to increase the price and then just checking like what is the price where I feel joy again mm-hmm. to deliver it versus like I feel like I'm giving way more than I'm receiving. So that's a very unscientific approach that we use to um, increasing prices. I will add another point. It's like um, maybe more strategic approach is like trying to look at comps or like an alternative value that members would get. So in our case, initially we were like, okay, what we provide is maybe similar to you know the benefit that someone might get from attending a conference or joining a co-working place and now we have the added benefit of like a pr um, agency right so just looking like what are those comps to help build up the confidence to charge whatever you want to charge last point now for for real i think price is part of the product experience right so people will show up differently if they pay a certain price so if we offer exactly the same community for free versus a paid community exactly one for one except the only difference is the price the experience wouldn't be as good a thousand percent just because people treat it differently people show up differently right so i think i always say free isn't free so if someone's considering joining a free community versus a paid community i'd just to say in the free community you probably have to do more legwork or maybe you're being sold to or maybe there's some other incentive for someone offering this to you for free or the quality isn't as good so just understanding that Charging is um, not not a zero sum game. Like you're you're like the the fact that you're charging and charging a certain price is part of the experience and the benefit that those who join you as members or clients get.
0: Totally. Oh, I love that so much. I feel like there were so many brilliant nuggets in there. But I mean, I I have certainly found it's it's really interesting. I think you know for for coaching and things in the personal development space. Like I found that there is a certain price point below which yeah, people just don't show up. Um, and it's just really, it's like, actually, like, the, yes, I, I totally agree with the happy price. And I actually think that's a brilliant way of thinking about it. And I also have observed that there's like a certain, um, you know, for the work that I do, I imagine for like this community as well, it's like, there's a certain amount of skin in the game that like yes. people need to have to to show up consistently for themselves. It's not even necessarily like for us. Right. But. Exactly. And I um yeah, and I also loved what you said about the the feeling, the epiphany, because I feel like I had a similar moment in entrepreneurship for myself of having a hard time showing up. Like doing marketing and communications was the the block for me of feeling like, oh, I'm just like talking about myself. I'm like posting about myself. <laughs> it like feels so icky to just continuously put myself out there and talk about like what I do. And the reframe that was super helpful for me from from my coach at the time was like no, it's selfish if you let caring what other people think about you get in the way yes. of sharing this thing that you're offering. Um, but it's so That's wild that. how those like deep core fears um, can really like take some time to work through, no matter like what it is that you want to offer the world and share with the world.
1: Yes, and I love how we turned our limiting beliefs into our catalysts.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I think I could, yes like i just want to underline that <laughs> it's an interesting way of like how how do you turn limiting beliefs into catalysts a lot of inner work <laughs> i think yeah. well actually somewhat related to that uh almost every woman who's in my world no matter how cool her job is um wonders if she's making a big enough impact and certainly in the world we live in today in 2022 i think it's a fair question. Um, but I'm curious, is that something that you wonder about? And like, how are you thinking about your own impact and letting it be enough?
1: So that's what I think about the most literally every day. And I, I try to like put boundaries with myself to like not think about it that, that, that much. But um, I have an inner voice that says I'm not like doing remotely enough. And this comes especially because I grew up in developing countries and my mom grew up essentially as an orphan, like really poor in Malaysia. And yeah, so for me, I'm like, okay, I'm like, obviously having an impact, but it feels like so small compared to how I could help other individuals that have like literally nothing or, but I guess like that's maybe a little bit of a savior complex, but um, so the way I deal with it is that I also realize why I'm not doing it. So the reason for me is, and in some ways it feels like an excuse, but um, I'm an empath and the moment I like do too much work that's like directly related to like a lot of suffering. Like I, um, I get really depressed and like, it's really hard for me to show up as my best self. So the story you tell me tell me myself that I hope is true is um, I'm showing up in the way where I feel like I can have the biggest impact, which is currently dreamers and doers. Um, then from there, because I am generating revenue, I can donate to causes that I care about and have a bigger impact that way than maybe I could, if I, you know, moved away, left my children and, you know, moved to India or or another country to um, do hands-on work. And and I have done that. So I have spent, and I sometimes still do um, time abroad to support causes. But I think just understanding that, like, even even if I had, you know, left my family and moved out there and helped, like, it would still not feel enough, right? Like, so accepting that it will never feel enough. And then where on the never enough um like lane do I want to end up on
0: Hmm. yeah that's a really interesting way of of thinking about it I mean part of me like resists the like acceptance of it never feeling like enough yeah but I also do feel I don't know to me I think if there's I have like this idea of like well we all have this like creative spark within us that like can be applied to various things like and I think if we're like doing the thing that makes us feel alive that we think that we're good at. um, And that is like contributing in our specific like way that we're meant to contribute. Like, just like remembering that what we want is good, and that we're going to do good things with the resources yes. that come out of that.
1: Exactly. It's, it's Kind of
0: like how I sleep at night. But <laughs> I feel like, yes, it's so interesting how so many of us struggle with this.
1: Yes. And I think a big factor too, in terms of like, let's say women versus men is Oftentimes we hear this like stat or, or quote where women like when they give money they they invest in philanthropy and and charities versus men they just invest and they invest in projects that you know have an ROI um beyond doing good so I think it's so important to uh, have much more women that create a lot of wealth for themselves because having more of that like I think the world would be better just having more very very wealthy and very powerful women so even though I think it's more of a female, on average, than a male thing, wanting to drop everything and you know help those that need help the most. Um, we can sometimes have the biggest impact by, um, I wouldn't call it like being selfish, but like I feel like to us it feels that way. But like the moment it, feel, it feels a little bit selfish, is probably just exactly right. Like if it doesn't feel, right. if it feels entirely selfless the entire time, we're probably um, overweighted to um, prioritizing everyone other than ourselves, which on average, um, isn't actually the best thing we can do for society and humans on the whole.
0: Uh, totally. I mean, uh, have you read Rachel Rogers' book, We Should All Be Millionaires? No. Oh, I'm I, writing it down now. Yes, I would highly recommend. I mean, she's all about getting wealth into the hands of women and women of color. Because um, we do, as you said, it's like we do good things with it. And I mean, I even like think about it's so cool to me and my own business to be able to, like, hire other women and hire other, like, yes. women-owned businesses and, like, you know, shop local and, like, buy cool things and introduce my people to, like, other cool, like, female entrepreneurs and, like, women-owned businesses. And um, it's really fun to get to, like, contribute to that ecosystem. And the reality is, like, you do that by making money, um, which sometimes yes. and I think, you know, we all have a lot to unpack around that.
1: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Limiting beliefs.
0: Totally. Um, Well, I'm curious, what advice, if you, when you think about your younger self or maybe thinking about your kids, like what advice would you want to give your younger self? You can pick an age or just generic young geisha advice.
1: I feel like this applies from birth till maybe just a few years ago. But the advice would be to um, be more comfortable being yourself and owning your different and so being like half German, half Chinese, growing up in Germany, then moving around a lot. And just, I feel like being, I mean, all of us probably are different than whatever mainstream is, right? Like, but I used to be a very shy child. I used to be very self-conscious. But the moment I took what made me different and embraced it, those things became my superpowers. And I wish I'd done it sooner. It would have been better for my trajectory, but it was just happiness and overall mental health. Uh,
0: totally. And I feel like that's something that like... <sighs> It's like you can hear it, but I feel like you can't receive it until you're ready to receive it, if that makes sense. So
1: true. Yes.
0: One, um, what's like your favorite inspirational quote right now or like idea or concept that you've been turning over in your brain recently?
1: Well, this is just an evergreen one for me, but it's um, Alna Rousseau, which is um, do what you feel in your heart to be right because you'll be damned if you do and or you'll be damned if you don't.
0: Mm. <laughs> that's so interesting it reminds me of a, just a, a woman I feel like I've shared this with a number of other women in my life it's coming up for me now but she it, on the topic of having children or not having children um she was like well you know the best advice I ever got about it was you're gonna have regrets either way
1: so you're oh, just- <laughs> that's so good we're actually <laughs> thinking about should we have a third or not so this is like very perfect timing thank you to you and to your friend for that Brilliant insight.
0: (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And painful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's hard, right? It's a hard truth to swallow, but I think it's very real. Feels very real. Um, well what are you most looking forward to right now? Um, what's like a bright spot on the horizon?
1: Yes, so I feel like we just hired a few people on the team and I'm just so excited about the team. Like just like I, I think about this concept of a forever team. So I really hope that the people I'm working with right now, I'll be working with forever, even if, you know, the company changes and just like that general alignment. I I read a book recently called um, Bending Reality by Victoria Song, and that has shifted a lot. So basically, if you look at me from the outside, not that much has changed, but a lot has changed for me in the inside. And um, a big theory there is to spend time emotionally in expansion state versus contraction state. And contraction obviously would be like... um, fear, anxiety, um, worry, um, and expansion is the opposite of abundance. So I've been trying to just um, integrate mindfulness and gratitude much more than I have prior been doing. And it feels like such a big shift in my life where I'm just like so much happier and grateful. I think there's a way where you can be alive but not be fully alive. And definitely if it's like a really stressful week or something, like I, I am that person that is alive but not fully alive. So I'm just grateful for this new appreciation I'm having
0: hmm totally i think that's awesome and i mean i feel like it's so easy you know i very much appreciate the importance of like mindfulness and gratitude and it's so easy in times of stress to like get into that contraction mode and like
1: totally have
0: to kind of reset it feels like a continuous dance so okay what are the things that are going to make me feel like the me that i want to feel like
1: i love the dance analogy
0: yeah, it feels so real, and especially this week for me personally, <laughs> another conversation for another time. Um, well, one of the things that I ask everyone, I have a vision and I'm speaking it to life that um, one day I'm going to put together like a, a post-it note deck or an oracle card deck, maybe both with all the inspirational post-its that women on the podcast and women in my world have shared. If you could see my desk right now, it's literally covered in messages from from me and from women in my life. And so I'm curious if you got your own geisha inspirational post-it and feel free if you have more than one to share, but what would you want to put on it?
1: So this is an homage to... um, the book I it, read but it, it would be your life is full and not full as in like your to-do list but just like r- a rich life
0: <laughs> no totally I think yeah I think that I talk to some people in my life about like the more monster and that, yeah. this post-it feels to me like the antidote to the more monster
1: exactly exactly we have everything we need and yeah we have a wonderful life already
0: I love that. I'm writing it down and adding it to the mix. Oh, yay. (laughs) Um, Well, I would love to hear, I know um, when this podcast comes out, I think we'll be about when applications, I mean, I think they're open on an ongoing basis, but when um, you'll be accepting new members into dreamers and doers. Um, So do you have any advice for anyone who's wanting to join for what they can do to kind of stand out in that process?
1: Yes. So I will just mention through the deadline, um, for the next quarter is April, fi- um, May five, cinco de mayo, and you can um, apply throughout the year, but that's when, um, yeah, um, the last applications will be accepted, and they join a week later. In terms of, I'd, I'd say like just honestly being yourself, right? Like I think the nice part about Dreamers and is it really embraces the whole self, and I think if you are aligned, it will. Um, like work work out and if you aren't aligned then it's probably like a good thing for everyone involved so um i have a sense that anyone who would listen to your podcast isn't good at alignment so i would say like not to stress about it and to like just truly be yourself there's one question where we for example ask like what's something outside of work something personal that makes you who you are today so just to give you an example of like how we Like approaching our process, so like rather than being like, Oh, I need to write something that you know could work on a resume, like we actually want the opposite of that. So, the more you can be yourself, the better the outcome will be that feels aligned to you.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Well, I know Dreamers and Doers is about to shift a little bit, I think, from what it's been in the past. Do you want to share a little bit about how that's evolving?
1: Yes, so we. Um, what we offer right now is both the high-impact community as well as um, the PR hype machine. And most likely in the next few weeks, we will um, soft launch the opportunity to apply for PR only. So that will be available on our website. And um, yeah, that will be an option that if if someone just just wants PR. So um, keep an eye out for it.
0: Interesting. I love that. Um, well, where's the best place for people who want to like, find you keep in touch with you stay up to date on the latest with dreamers and doers
1: yes so i personally can be found everywhere under geisha haas so my first and my last name Um, i am probably most active on instagram so if you like real talk um, um, i get a little bit embarrassingly honest you can find Mm -hmm. me there and for dreamers and doers we're mostly at um, dreamers doers Um, And some platforms, because Dreamers and Doors was taken already, um, we're dreamy humans. Mm -hmm. And otherwise, our website also is dreamersdoors.com. So that's where you'd find our application. And um, I will say we also have a newsletter that we send out once a month called the Digest. Um, If you go on our website and you go to Digest on the navigation, you will be able to sign up for that. And that's an entirely free newsletter that we get so many rave reviews on. But if membership isn't a fit or at least not a fit now, like. We, we love offering that because um, that's a way to have an impact um, where no cost is tied to it. Um, and yeah, um, it's something that I think is actually underutilized currently by a lot of people.
0: Oh, I love it. Um, we'll, we'll definitely be sure to include links to all of that in the show notes. Um, it has thank been, you. of course, it has been such a treat, Geisha, to have you on the podcast. Um, and so fun to go deep. I feel like there's so many other things I would love to talk to you about on the podcast in the future. Um, but thank you so much for making the time to to join us and to give us some real
1: talk. Thank you. It was so amazing. I can't imagine a better way to end the week and spending time with you. Thank you so much for the opportunity and for the important work you do and how you do it. Thank you so much, Liz. Uh,
0: of course, this mutual admiration over here. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Please rate and review the Women Changing the World podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram. My handle is liz.best. That's L-A-S B-E-S-T. Or you can find me on LinkedIn by searching my name, Liz Best. Join my mail list by visiting elizabethbest.com monthlymeditation monthly meditation, and you'll receive all the latest updates on events, retreats, and opportunities to work with me, plus a monthly love note from my heart to your inbox. I am so excited to keep in touch, and I'll see you in the next episode.